Hi, everyone. My name is Stephanie Smith, host of the Connection Place podcast, where we connect our heart's passion for God with our mind's understanding of Scripture, where we come together in the place where Christ longs to connect with us, His Word. In today's episode of the Luke 5020 plan, we're diving into the second half of Luke chapter 4. We'll pick right up where we left off in our previous episode and find out exactly what the people thought about Jesus claiming to be the anointed one that Isaiah prophesied about. We'll also see Jesus do a lot of healing and preaching. Let's get started. All right, so the last time we left off, Jesus was in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, like usual as Luke told us, and he was reading from the scroll of Isaiah. The text doesn't say, but it seems like the Holy Spirit gave Jesus a bit of a hand with exactly what to read, and Jesus ends up reading about this anointed one who has been sent to set the captives, the oppressed, free, to give sight to the blind, to share the good news with the poor. And then Jesus sits down and says, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And with that astonishing statement, we ended our episode. Today, we get to find out exactly what happened next. So let's read the text. They were all speaking well of him and were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. Yet they said, Isn't this Joseph's son? Then he said to them, No doubt you will quote this proverb to me. Doctor, heal yourself. What we've heard that took place in Capernaum, do here in your hometown also. He also said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But I say to you, there were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's days, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months while a great famine came over all the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, except a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. And in the prophet Elisha's time, there were many in Israel who had leprosy, and yet not one of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. They got up, drove him out of town, and brought him to the edge of the hill that their town was built on, intending to hurl him over the cliff. But he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. All right, so let's zoom out and talk about what's happening here before we do any analysis. Jesus has just made this astonishing claim that he's the one that Isaiah was talking about. And at first, the people are speaking well of Jesus and are amazed by the gracious words he's speaking. Yet then they say something interesting. Isn't this Joseph's son? And Jesus responds in a way that pretty much calls them out, saying that no prophet is accepted in his hometown and giving not just one, but two examples of how this is true through Elijah and Elisha. Everyone in the synagogue is enraged that this is how Jesus is talking to them now, to the point where they actually try to hurl Jesus off a cliff. But Jesus just passes right through the crowd and goes on his way. I mean, (laughs) come on, talk about being wishy-washy to the extreme, right? At first, the people in the synagogue are all amazed at Jesus and his gracious words, But as soon as he says something they don't want to hear, even though it's the truth because Jesus is no liar, they not only shift to being enraged, but they literally try to kill him by hurling him off a cliff. It's kind of unbelievable, except is it really? Humanity is a big freaking mess, and that's why we need a savior. A savior who is willing to endure suffering and rejection 
and misunderstanding, a Savior who becomes an outcast just by speaking the bold and often painful truth of these people's hearts. Those of us who are willing to hear what Jesus has to say and not be offended by him are the ones who will be able to not only hear the truth, but be transformed by it to become more like Jesus on our way to heaven. All right, but so here are some of my thoughts on this portion of the text. Things were going well, and they even thought of Jesus' words as gracious, but then they started to question, wait, isn't this Joseph's son? Meaning, these are all people who know Jesus. This is his hometown, it's where he grew up, and so they know exactly who he is already. They know his family, and evidently this knowledge leads them to think that Jesus couldn't possibly be this anointed one. Isn't it true that we often do this? We can accept that complete strangers are gifted and talented and anointed, but it's often much harder to think about the people we know and have spent a lot of time with. I wonder why that is. Jesus certainly doesn't take the easy road here in response. He doesn't try to say, well, yeah, I'm Joseph's son, but I'm also the son of God. At least, he doesn't do that yet, anyway. He doesn't try to explain or justify himself. He just cuts right to the heart of the matter. Literally, he cuts deep to what's really in their hearts about him. And he can do this because he knows. He's full of the Spirit, and he's the Son of God. He is fully human, but still fully divine. He sees straight through to the hearts of the people he encounters, and he knows that these people of his hometown are not going to accept him. Or more accurately, they will only accept him on the conditions of their terms. They will only accept him if he does all these miracles that they want him to do. Again, isn't that so much like our own hearts today? I also think, well, is that too much to ask? It seems like a reasonable request, given that Jesus has only just started his ministry. I mean, are they supposed to just take Jesus' words by faith at this point, without something to back it up? Let's look again at what Jesus says to the people. He says, No doubt you will say, What we've heard took place in Capernaum do here also. This means they're not exactly disbelieving Jesus, because they've heard of him and what he's done in other places. Namely, he's performed some healing miracles, which you can read about in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and John chapter 4, verses 46 through 53. But now they want what they feel is their due. They don't want Jesus. They want Jesus to perform in the same way he did for other towns. So yeah, Jesus calls them out. He even invokes the examples of Elijah and Elisha, two Old Testament prophets that you can read about in First and Second Kings. Essentially, Jesus uses them as powerful examples that the crowd will know very well. And he tells them neither of these prophets were accepted in their hometowns either. And because of that, they had to travel outside of their hometowns to actually perform miracles. I would argue it wasn't because they were being stubborn or trying to prove a point but because belief and faith are necessary elements for receiving miracles. It's true that God is sovereign and he works out his plan sometimes in spite of what we choose to do or believe. It's true that God is faithful even when we can't be, because that's his nature. But it is also true that God has chosen to partner with us, to co-labor to bring heaven to earth. It's kind of confounding that he has done this when he could have done any other thing, 
The fact that we get to partner with him in our miracles and in the miracles of others on this earth is itself a miracle. Miracles are just as much a part of the mystery of God as anything else, but it's my opinion that belief and faith, even when tinged with some form of doubt, these are still beautiful things to God. Our faith moves the heart of heaven. Not like in a manipulating way, like a genie in a bottle, but rather it's just this understanding that God sees our hearts, and when our hearts are believing and trusting in Him, wanting Him because of who He is and not just what He can do for us, well, that's beautiful to God, and it draws His attention to us and our situation. I believe that's what Jesus is getting at here, that Elijah and Elisha weren't moved by the faith of those in their near proximity, but were moved, literally, by the faith of those who geographically were farther away. And that faith literally brought miracles to those people. Speculation aside, we know for certain that Jesus is telling these people, prophets aren't accepted in their hometown. He calls them out, and they are not happy about it, to the point where they are literally willing to drive him off the cliff and kill him. Isn't that interesting? They are just proving his actual point in acting this way. Instead of responding with thoughtful humility, curiosity, or even repentance, they just immediately rise to the bait of offense and act on that. Instead of asking Jesus why he would say that about them, instead of engaging with him in some kind of dialogue, they immediately resort to violence. And in so doing, they prove Jesus right that their hearts, hearts that know Jesus, mind you, hearts that actually grew up with him and knew him as a child, Their hearts are maligned toward him and not really caring about who Jesus is at all, but only what he can do for them. Thankfully, miraculously, Jesus is able to just pass right through the crowd and avoid their intentions, because as we know, this is not the time or manner in which Jesus is to die. Okay, let's get to the next section of the text where Jesus drives out an unclean spirit from a man. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. They were astonished at his teaching because his message had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man with an unclean demonic spirit who cried out with a loud voice, Leave us alone! What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and said, Be silent and come out of him. And throwing him down before them, the demon came out of him without hurting him at all. Amazement came over them all, and they were saying to one another, What is this message? For he commands the unclean spirits with authority and power, and they come out. And news about him began to go out to every place in the vicinity. Before we dive in, let's zoom out. Jesus leaves Nazareth and heads to Capernaum, which happens to be the place where they were just talking about, the place where evidently Jesus has already performed miracles. He goes and teaches them on the Sabbath, and the people are amazed at his teaching because his message has authority. Spoiler alert, this won't be the last time we hear people say this about his teaching. Then, as Jesus is teaching, a man who has a demonic spirit inside him cries out loudly to Jesus, telling Jesus to leave us alone, and that they know who Jesus is, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebukes this spirit, telling it to be quiet and come out. The demon obeys Jesus. Everyone is amazed and starts talking about what they've just witnessed. They're asking how Jesus can do this, 
and the news about what Jesus has done spreads. Okay, so here we are at the very first miracle that Jesus performs according to Luke's account. This is, of course, not Jesus' first miracle of his ministry. In fact, just the previous section we've covered attests that he's already been doing some healing miracles in Capernaum before this. But Luke picks this one to add to his account of Jesus. Why? Well, this is just my take, but I believe Luke wants to establish one thing right out of the gate as supreme importance that we understand, because he wrote about it, that Jesus is in fact the Holy One of God. Because as we see through this miracle, it's not just a healing miracle for this man. In fact, Luke doesn't say much about this man other than that he's got an unclean spirit inside him. Rather, it's a demonstration of the power of God in Jesus. Not only that, but the demon itself responds to Jesus and knows exactly who Jesus is. Spoiler alert again, this will not be the last time we see this happen. The demons, the supernatural beings on the earth under the command and purview of Satan himself, recognize Jesus far sooner and with greater clarity than we as humans do. And Luke wants this fact to be well spotted by us as he drives home the point that Jesus is the Son of God because even the demons recognize and fear him. Let's also talk about this notion of Jesus teaching with authority. The text says that the people were astonished at Jesus' teaching because his message had authority. A quick word study on that word authority tells me this, from the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament. In relation to Christ's person and work, exousia, the Greek word for authority, denotes the divinely given right and power to act along with the related freedom. This is a cosmic power, but with a special human reference. The historical Jesus claims exousia within the limits of his commission, which means to forgive sins, to expel demons, and to teach. This power is inseparable from the imminence of the kingdom. With the presence of him who exercises it, the kingdom itself draws near. I mean, I don't know about you, but I feel like I need to read that about five more times for it to fully sink in of everything that that one word authority in this usage and context means. So yeah, Jesus is teaching messages with that kind of authority. And the people are astonished. As he's teaching, he encounters this unclean spirit on the Sabbath. What's interesting to me is how Jesus encounters it and the conversation they have. The unclean spirit says to Jesus, Leave us alone. What do you have to do with us? Did you come to destroy us? A rather curious thing to say. First of all, it's referring to itself in the plural, which makes me think it's more than one spirit or that the Spirit has more than one mind or personality. But second of all, he asks Jesus to leave it alone. Like, to me, the passage, as Luke describes it, feels like the Spirit sort of sought Jesus out? Or maybe it couldn't resist him? Am I the only one who gets that vibe? Like, Jesus was just doing his thing and teaching in the synagogue. The demon certainly didn't have to be in that place, you know? Plus, Luke doesn't say that Jesus spotted or sought out the man who needed healing. All it says is that Jesus was teaching with authority. Perhaps it was that very authority that compelled this spirit to come forward. Interesting, too, that this spirit was just fine and dandy to be in the synagogue, 
with apparently no opposition against it. But then it encountered something unexpected yet totally recognized in the person and God of Jesus. It encountered the only thing with the power to drive it out. Something to think about. So then Jesus responds to the demon and his response is even more curious. Jesus says first, be silent. Like, (laughs) what? Especially because Jesus will say this a lot to demons. Already in this episode, we've seen multiple cases of sentiments and situations that come to be commonplace amongst Jesus' ministry. In this case, most of us are perplexed and left to wonder why it is that Jesus, evidently repeatedly, wants to stop people and demons from talking about him. It doesn't make sense to us because all we can think of is, doesn't Jesus want people to know about him and what he's doing? And of course the answer is yes, but he wants them to know about him in the right manner and the right timing. Jesus knows that, contrary to what our society teaches, there is such a thing as bad publicity. And while Jesus knows his time is coming to deal with authority figures and power trips, that time is not yet. So he's here to be focused on his mission, on what the Father is saying and doing, on the hearts and situations of the people immediately around him, and not so much on the publicity factor. So that's the first part of what Jesus says. Then he commands the demon spirit to come out of the man. And the demon spirit can't resist at all, can't even cause the man harm on his way out. He has to leave, because the full authority of God has compelled the demon as no other authority can. Naturally, the people are amazed at what has just happened. Luke tells us that amazement came over them all, and they all start saying to each other, What is this message? For he commands the unclean spirits with authority and power, and they come out. I think it's so cool about the dots being connected here in this response. Clearly, the people see that Jesus has authority and power, that the unclean spirits have to respond and obey to that authority and power. But this causes them to ask, what is this message in response to that authority and power they see? I think that's an incredible revelation and insight that they are recognizing that it's not just Jesus, but what he's teaching and preaching that has authority and power. That to separate Jesus' authority and power from his message would be a mistake. They go together. They did then, and they do for us still today, which makes complete sense because scripture tells us in a few different ways, but chief among them, that Jesus is himself the word of God made flesh. Just as natural as their amazement is the fact that they talk about what happened and the news spreads to every place in the vicinity. I mean, Jesus may not be looking for the PR at this point, but he's still going to get it. And I'm sure he knows and understands that about human nature. Because I know, if it was me, I would certainly be telling everyone I know about this. Like, can you think of anything more interesting to have happened to this group of people at this point? This is one of those stories that you tell your kids, your grandkids, your neighbors, the strangers you meet. This is one for the books. Literally, that's the case because we have this story in our hands today and we are still talking about it. Alright, so let's get to the next few verses to see what happens next. After he left the synagogue, he entered Simon's house. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him about her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up immediately and began to serve them. When the sun was setting, all those who had anyone sick with various diseases brought them to him. 
As he laid his hands on each one of them, he healed them. Also, demons were coming out of many, shouting and saying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Messiah. Before we dive in, let's zoom out. What's happening here? Well, a whole lot of healing. After Jesus leaves the synagogue, he enters Simon's house. At this point, I'm not certain that Simon is actually one of Jesus' disciples yet. It's in the next chapter that Jesus famously captures the fisherman's heart by telling him he'll be a fisher of men. So in this moment, I think it's quite possible that they're just friends, or at least not in a formal teacher-disciple relationship yet. In any case, Jesus is there, and he learns that Simon's mother-in-law has a high fever. So he rebukes the fever, and it leaves her. And she gets up and immediately serves them, which sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? I feel like so many women and moms especially can relate to that moment, very true to life and to that nurturing aspect that we can often have. Then, as the sun is setting on the Sabbath day, lots of sick people come to Jesus for healing, and he heals each one. He also encounters many demons, all of whom seem to be loud about identifying Jesus as the Son of God. But Jesus rebukes them and keeps them from speaking what they know about him, which is that he is the Messiah. So again, we have just a handful of verses, but so much is happening here. But I love how Luke juxtaposes these two healing situations. There's one that's personal and intimate, and one that's a healing of the masses. One that's familial and one that's corporate. Jesus is always about his father's business. And God the Father is both about the one and about the many. One note here about the corporate healing is that the people started coming to Jesus for healing as the sun was setting on the Sabbath day. This is because according to Jewish tradition, the Sabbath day begins at sunset on Friday and ends at sunset the following day, Saturday. As we know from other biblical stories about Jesus, healing during the Sabbath day was not allowed. So the people waited until the Sabbath was over and then immediately came to Jesus, as the sun was setting. Not after the sun had set, not when it was night, but literally it would seem in the earliest possible moment they were seeking Jesus out to be healed. This fact both makes sense and convicts me, because so often we say we want healing, but the actual act and actions of healing can feel overwhelming for us, especially if they require us to change. I can think of the moment when Egypt was in the middle of facing the ten plagues of God, and one of those plagues was frogs. Frogs were everywhere, in all the houses, all the rooms, the beds. And Pharaoh finally told Moses that he would let his people go just to get those dang frogs out of there. And Moses asked Pharaoh when he wanted the frogs to be gone, and Pharaoh said, Tomorrow. I mean, I'm sorry, who says tomorrow? when there are hundreds of frogs all over the place and in my bed and kitchen and everywhere I go? You'd think he'd have wanted them gone ASAP. But so often we are like that with our own healing and our own deliverance. We delay because we are stubborn or scared or hard-headed or just not trusting God to help us through the process. But these people, these people were so desperate for healing that they came to Jesus the moment, the moment, they could. May we be more like them. Also, let's talk about these demons again. One big question I have is, 
Why is it that the demons are wanting to be so loud about who Jesus is? We tend to focus on why Jesus wants them to be quiet, and I still wonder about that, as indeed I already mentioned earlier. But let's flip the script and try to see this situation from how the demons might view it. You would think they wouldn't be happy about people knowing that the actual real Messiah is in their midst, that they wouldn't want to draw any attention to him seeing as he's their direct adversary and conqueror. I have a theory, granted it's just a theory and it could be way off, but what if the demons understand that Jesus is on his mission, they know that Jesus doesn't want them talking about him yet, in which case it seems plausible they would want to thwart that mission by doing exactly what he doesn't want them to do, right? Because we know they can lie, so they could just lie about Jesus to the people, or even just keep quiet, which is what Jesus wants, and in the end causes to happen as he keeps them from speaking. But they don't choose to do that. And they don't just speak who he is, they shout it out. So it seems to me that the demons want to cling to whatever disobedience they can, cause whatever disturbance they can, grab whatever foothold they can that would most annoy and perturb Jesus, and maybe even cause Jesus' ministry to collapse before it even begins. Alright, so here we go. The home stretch of the episode. Let's read these last three verses. When it was day, he went out and made his way to a deserted place. But the crowds were searching for him. They came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, It is necessary for me to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Once again, before we dive in, let's zoom out. So now the Sabbath day is fully over, and in just this one day, Jesus has done a lot. He's got to be pretty tired, so it makes sense that when the day dawns, he heads out and makes his way to somewhere where there are no crowds to a deserted place. But the crowds can't get enough of Jesus, and so they come to him and try to keep him from leaving. But he tells them that it's necessary for him to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to the other towns too, because he was sent for this purpose. And so he continues preaching in the various synagogues of Judea. All right, so this chapter ends with a pretty awesome couple of scriptures here. The first thing I notice is that here we can see Jesus' humanity on full display. After a full day of preaching and healing and dealing with lots and lots of people and their needs, Jesus is tired. He's ready to have some time alone. Let me tell you, I don't truly know how Jesus did what he did for three full years because I can only imagine how it all must have felt at times. I know I would have been overwhelmed, and that probably would have brought out the worst in me. But we know Jesus didn't sin. He lived a perfect life. And so even though all these crowds keep hounding him, and they don't want to let him go anywhere else, he just keeps it on mission. He tells them it's necessary for him to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because he was sent for this purpose. Here we get a view of what Jesus is here to do. For sure, part of his purpose is to bring healing. That includes all the physical healing we've seen already. But I think that kind of healing work was not just missional, but also because of Jesus' compassion for the people. He just desires to help them right where they are, which remains to this day a desire of his heart. But ultimately, Jesus knows that while physical healing matters, 
it pales in comparison to the healing of the heart. And that can only come through the forgiveness of sins, through the good news of the kingdom of God. And that can only be known and received if people hear about it and know it's available to them. The true soul-deep healing that every single one of these people needs, that each one of us needs, can only come through Jesus. And so he tells the people that this is why he was sent here, to preach and proclaim this good news of great joy for all people. So that's exactly what he does all throughout Judea. All right, so that's a wrap for this week. Next week, we'll check out chapter 5, where Jesus calls the first disciples and also helps a leper. Thanks again so much for listening. I hope today's episode has blessed you and encouraged you in your pursuit of Jesus through his word. See you next time here at The Connection Place.